0: Cool. Um Darren's also the chaplain at Wadom Senior Secondary College and it comes to our morning service and um, it's a blessing, mate, to have you, have you here tonight. So. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we pray for Darren as he begins? Yeah. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we just want to um, really ask now that you'd be uh, just speaking through your servant Darren tonight. And Father, would you just open our hearts and open our minds and give us such a desire to hear from you through your words spoken tonight, God, that we would... Um, know what it is you want us to do to live more in the way you want us to, Jesus, and to know your love more, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How's the weather been this weekend? Pretty nice. You know it's spring when the maggies are out, don't you? <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, I me. Mean, I went bike riding yesterday and there was one stretch out in the back of Edamoga, at, at and um, you, it was like running the gauntlet. There was a start at one end, got one that came in, I reckon I probably got hit three or four times, and you ride as hard as you can try and get away, your one hand's going like this, and you're going like this, then he dropped off, and the next one comes in out of the paddock and has a go, and he left, then another one, it just didn't stop. It wasn't a good day, and then I think I've ended up with a sore neck from trying to go like this while I'm riding, and almost got hit by a car, but anyway, that's got nothing to do with tonight. Let's go.
1: Um,
0: when men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things that they often do is turn it into an instrument for controlling others. The history of such religious manipulation and coercion is long and tedious, and it's little wonder that people who have known, only known religion on such terms rarely experience release or escape from it as freedom. And one of the problems is that when they've lived in that lifestyle for so long, when they do get out, often find that it's, it doesn't last and ends up being short-lived. Paul was one of these who was really good at that. And he was doing his best to continue that legacy of keeping people controlled by religion. And it wasn't until his conversion, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that he chose to live a life that was radically different He went from someone who was living under the law to someone living a life freeing God under his grace. Through Jesus, Paul learned that God was not an impersonal force to be used to make people behave in certain prescribed ways, but a personal saviour who has set us free to live a free life. God did not coerce us from without, but set us free from within. It was an amazing and most glorious experience and from, from that moment, from that um, moment when he met Jesus, his Saviour, on that road, Paul began to tell others, introducing them to Jesus true, and telling them about how to live this, this free life. In one of his early travels, he founded several churches in the Roman province of Galatia and and this letter that we're going to, part of this letter that we're going to look at tonight is the result of several years after that, his initial going into that, that, um, that province. And what had been happening was that these religious leaders from, from the old school, from, from the law, had come into these churches. And they were calling Paul's views and Paul's authority into question and were beginning to reintroduce these old ways. And they were herding these new Christians, or these new freedom-loving Christians, back into the corrals of religious rules and regulations. And Paul was furious. He was furious with the old guard for coming in and using their strong-arm religious tactics and intimidation to try and get them back into how it used to be. But he was also furious with the Christians because they were letting them do it to them. So his letter to the Galatian church helps them and helps us gain our freedom back. It also helps us realise that freedom is both a choice and a gift, just as accepting Christ is a choice and a gift. And that this gift can be something that can be easily perverted and, can, and is often squandered. So, so far, Paul has, in this letter, Paul's encouraged them to look at what is central to their faith. He's challenged their fickleness. He's implored them to trust in Christ and not the law. And he's spoken about the fact that in Christ there are no divisions, that that all are equal. And and now we come to a teaching on freedom and grace. And, And at this stage, Paul chooses his argument pretty carefully. Rather than use something that could have been unfamiliar to them, rather than use his own life, he, he pulls something out of left field and he uses something that the old guard, that the old um, people that were into the law would not have expected. He pulls out his Abraham card. Why Abraham? Because Abraham is the father of their faith. Through Abraham they became united under one God. God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham that his children would outnumber the stars and that they would be more numerous to count than all the grains of sand on the earth. Their destiny and their heritage rested in Abraham. So let's have a look at the passage tonight. It's Galatians 4 verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who, are, who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O barren women, who bear no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labour pains, Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son is born in the ordinary way, persecuted. The son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But who does the Scripture say? Or what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. First time I looked at that, when um, your esteemed youth pastor gave that to me, I thought, thanks, Phil, what have I done to deserve that? But this is a great story. This is a great passage. Because if we don't get a grip of this we're going to lose a lot of other stuff out of the gospel it's like learning to drive a car you know if we don't understand how the brakes and how the steering works we're not going to get the most out of our car if we don't understand about grace freedom and the law we're not going to get the most out of the gospel of christ I want you to imagine for a moment, spend a few seconds in Paul's sandals. Here's a man who has spent his whole life living the law, learning the law. He studied it, he lived it, he taught it, he manipulated it. He had people killed by it and for it. He knew it inside and out. he then has this life-changing experience. And he has that whilst he's actually on the hunt for Christians so that he could bring them back to be persecuted and no doubt killed for their faith. And now here he is, several years later, and he's telling the same people that, a few years ago, he would have signed a death sentence for to not go back to the old ways of the law. He's telling them to continue to be free. And he says, look, if you're not going to listen to me and my experience, listen to Abraham. Listen to Abraham, you'll believe what he says. So, So Paul tells this story not just a made-up story, but a real-life story, one that they would know inside out, one that they would know back the front, because their whole life would have been entwined and around Abraham and their faith. He tells them a story of their heritage. The significance of this story is that Hagar and Sarah would have also been used by the legalists, who also claimed to be the sons of Abraham. But Paul shows them the difference between law and grace and proves that legalists are not under grace and therefore not the spiritual children of Abraham. The church in Galatia was in danger of turning back to the bondage of the law. They hadn't done it yet, but they were weighing it up, they were tossing it around, they desired to. If there hadn't been a problem, Paul wouldn't have wrote the letter to them. He was trying to stop them. He was trying to get them to change their focus. He wanted them to see what life under grace would be like. He wanted them to see why it would be better. Paul challenged them that they needed to be aware of what the law really was. Paul could challenge them about the law because he lived the law. He spent a large proportion of his life under the law, around the law. He was a Pharisee. Paul could have encouraged them to focus on grace and he did because he knew that it was the grace of God that had saved him. He knew that the saving grace of God was what was going to get people to be able to live free in their life and he knew that the law was not going to save anybody. So he makes this appeal to Abraham. And by appealing to Abraham, Paul was appealing to the founder of the Jewish nation. All Jews trace their ancestry back to Abraham. And with this in mind, Paul the pastor, Paul the preacher, Paul the teacher, Paul the lawyer, puts his point of view across. He reminds them that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was born of Sarah and the free woman, And Ishmael was born of Hagar, the slave woman. That in itself is an extremely important point because according to Jewish custom, law, um, tradition, the status of the mother affects the status of the son. So the son takes on the nationality and the status of the mother, not the father. So a, a son or a person born to a slave mother takes on that status of becoming a slave. A person, a son born to a Jewish mother takes on her Jewish heritage, her Jewish faith, her Jewish religion. And so it was pretty important to know who your mother is. Was it Ishmael? Is it Sarah? Ishmael was born naturally in the ordinary way, requiring no miracle, no promise of God, just two people. The birth of Isaac was totally different. Isaac was born as the result of a promise made by God to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were both beyond childbearing years, but God miraculously fulfilled a promise a commitment and a covenant to them. God brought life out of something that was dead. And so in order to emphasise this contrast between law and grace, Paul uses these two mothers and he looks at them figuratively. So on one side we have Hagar, the slave woman. On the other side we have Sarah, the free woman. We've got Ishmael born of a natural birth, we have Isaac of a supernatural birth. We've got the old covenant. We have the new covenant. We have earthly Jerusalem. We have a heavenly Jerusalem. We have Judaism. We have Christianity. So in verse 24, it talks about two covenants. One covenant was the Mosaic covenant, which had its origin at Mount Sinai. And this was a legal covenant, and those under the legal covenant were slaves. It was about laws, it was about what you needed to do in order to get yourself right with God. So, just as Hagar the slave girl brought forth a slave son, so law brings about a slave life. The other covenant is a grace covenant. God, in his grace, promised a son to Sarah. Sarah brought forth a free son. So grace brings about a free life. In verse 25 and 26, it talks about two Jerusalems. Hagar stood for the first century city of Jerusalem, a city that was surrounded by a big wall, a city that was enslaved at that time to Rome, a people that were enslaved to the law. Sarah stood for a heavenly Jerusalem, a Jerusalem above the earthly one. Sarah stood for the mother of all the children of grace. In Revelation 21, John talks about the new Jerusalem. And in verse 2, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This heavenly city will one day come to earth. And according to Hebrews, this city is the city of the living God. Jerusalem at that time had also lost their temple. The temple was the place where God supposedly lived. That was God's house. Without the temple, was God there? So this there's this people group that had an opportunity to feel really enslaved by what was happening, to feel under the pump, to feel under the law. Yet there was also an opportunity to, to live fully and completely in the grace of God. Paul then goes on to quote from Isaiah in verse 27. Whilst there's no evidence that this quote was specifically around Hagar and Sarah, it's still nonetheless appropriate. The verse is a prophecy of Jerusalem's restoration following their years of exile and implies the thought that the blessing of the later years will be greater than that which they enjoyed earlier. So they're saying that, yes, before their exile, before they were put into slavery as a people, as a nation, as a race, Yes, there were some good years before that. But they're saying that it's going to be better. That will pale into insignificance. The pre- and post-exilic Jerusalem corresponded to Paul's distinction between an earthly and a heavenly Jerusalem and the promise to the blessings of God to Israel that they would receive under the old covenant as contrasted to the greater blessings that the church would receive under the new covenant. So Sarah, who was barren, who had no children previously, would be blessed with the child. And ultimately, through that promise, through that covenant that God made with them, her children would ultimately outnumber Hagar's. When they said that, you know, you'll have, you'll have descendants that will be more numerous than the stars in heaven and more numerous than Bound to count, the grains of sand. So... What does that mean how do we how do we apply that how was Paul going to apply that to to this church to this people and these last three verses are his application from verse 28 to 31 and and he makes from this illustration he makes three comparisons the first one is in verse 28 and and he compares isaac to christians as Isaac experienced a supernatural birth and was as child by the means of a promise, so we as believers also experience a supernatural birth. Jesus spoke of these things when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter three. And he says that we have to go through a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth, in order to be born again. That's a common um, term that we use as Christians being born again and it's specifically we may not be saying that but it's talking about a rebirth a new birth a birth that comes out of the grace of God who sees us in our state of sin but says no I love you you're my child I want to be in relationship with you there's nothing that you could do that would make me want to love you less there's nothing that you could do that would make me love you more it's grace that spiritual rebirth that calls us into his, into his family as a child. And as children of promise, as Christians, we are in a distinct category. And he says we shouldn't be living under bondage anymore. One of the best passages for this is Romans chapter 6, which is also one of Paul's letters, in which Paul talks of us as being dead to our old bodies, dead to our old self, dead to our old man, And alive in Christ. We are reborn in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We're a free people. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. Our old self has been crucified. And the last verse in chapter 6 says Sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. He then goes on to compare Ishmael to the false teachers. Paul compares Ishmael's persecution of Isaac to the false teachers' opposition to the believers in that church. To, to understand that, you, are, you need to go back to Genesis chapter 21. And at this particular time, Isaac has... Um, is having a party, Abraham is celebrating his weaning. Where and, and Ishmael's there. And, and the passage look says that Ishmael laughs in a mocking kind of way. And he's kind of saying, Well, and he's looking down at little Isaac and he's going, You can have all the parties you want, but at the end of the day, I'm the eldest son. Elder son gets all the goods. I'm the first one in line. I therefore claim my birthright. So you can have the party. It doesn't matter. And you can see from, from that day onward that this squabbling and has taken place between Ishmael's people, the Arabs, and Isaac's people the Jews, and you can pick up the paper pretty much any day of the week or watch the international news any night of the week and you will still see fighting and squabbling going on between those two people groups. It doesn't end. So Paul compares the legalists to Ishmael as as those who were born out of legalistic self-effort and he charged them of persecuting the true believers who were born by the power of the Spirit. And if you go through the letters of Paul and and through Acts and you look at Paul's life, the majority of his persecution comes from where? It comes from the Jews, the people who were in bondage to the law. We in in our own lives, no doubt, experience persecution from different sources. And I guess for me, in in my own work and my own life with, with friends and, and everything else. Um, it's interesting that the majority of persecution for me about why religion's no good and what a waste of time it is and why the heck would you want to do that because you've got to follow a whole bunch of laws and rules and regulations. You never get to have any fun, blah, 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 blah. It's in the ones that tell me this or talk to me about this and why are often the ones that are caught up in some kind of bondage themselves. Smoking, alcohol addictions, pornography, gambling, whatever it is. They can't see that the things that they initially did that caused pleasure and enjoyment, they've now become enslaved to and can't break free and get away from them at all the one thing that I try and get across is that I'm not into religion because I'm not but but I'm into a relationship with Christ and yes following Christ means that I've got to forego certain things, yes it means that I have to make certain lifestyle choices but the difference is that at the end of the day I'm the one making the choice to do that no one's telling me that I have to No one's saying that if I don't do that, then I'm not going to make it to heaven or I'm not going to be a better person or God's not going to love me. I choose to do it because I do it out of a love relationship that I have with Christ, not because I have to. When we make that choice to crucify our old self, our sinful self and turn from our old life, it's gone for good. We're dead to that old life. The old has gone, the new has come. We're now able to live a life that is free. A life that is filled with freedom, that is filled with grace, that is filled with love. Does it mean that we're going to be perfect? Does it mean that we're never going to stuff up or make a mistake? No. Have I made lots of mistakes since? Yes, absolutely. But what it means is that when I do make a mistake, I get to jump back on the wagon where I fell off. That's the grace bit. I don't have to go all the way back to the start to learn that lesson again because I didn't get it right because if I don't get it right, I'm never going to make it. That's the law. I don't want ever want to be under the bondage of law. I want to live freely under the grace of God. Paul's final comparison is to that of Abraham, where he compares Abraham to the Galatians. And this is in verse 30. When Sarah saw Ishmael mocking Isaac, she made Abraham expel the slave woman and her son. And God granted her that request. So here Paul's telling the Galatians, hey, you've got to get rid of these legalists. You've got to excommunicate them the same way that Sarah got rid of Ishmael and Hagar. Cuz if you don't they're going to take over. If you don't they're going to claim things that aren't that aren't theirs. And Paul finishes this comparison by stating he says therefore Because of everything that I've said, because of everything that you've heard, because of everything that you know, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So so I come back to the title Who's your mama? Who's your mother? Is your mother Sarah born out of a promise? born out of a covenant with God, born out of freedom and grace? Or is your mother Hagar, born of slavery, born into bondage, born in the law? Are you a child of grace, free to live your life your greatest potential in Christ or are you restricted to a whole lot of laws in order to live your life if you think that you're Hagar's child that you're a child of the law or a child still in bondage the good news is that you don't need to be from right now you can cross over from slavery to freedom, from bondage to grace. The Bible says that Jesus came that you may have life and that you might have it in abundance. Jesus came to set you free from slavery, from bondage, from living under the law. Jesus came to fulfil the law and in his life he did Jesus came to set you free and you can experience freedom tonight. And if you say, yes, I know that I'm a child of Sarah's. I know that I'm a child of grace. I know that I'm free to live my life to its absolute fullest potential. Then, hey, you praise God and you say, thank you, God, so much for what you have shown me and what I have tonight. Don't ever, ever take that for granted. It is such a huge, huge gift. All you have to do is invite him into your life and you'll be a new person from this moment on. What have you got to lose? If what I've talked about isn't true, then you'll walk out the doors and you'll be no different. doesn't matter. You haven't lost anything. But, but if the God who can turn a legalistic murderer, a manipulator into the most committed of Christ's followers, allowing him to be all that he could be and forgiving him unconditionally of everything that he had ever done. This is Paul. And and probably for a lot of people in here too, could understand and understand the same thing and say, yep, that's me too. Then that opportunity when grace came down into our life and freed us from that bondage and that slavery, if that's true, then we've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Where do you sit tonight? Who's your mother? Is it Sarah? Is it Hagar? If it's Hagar, do you want to swap? If you do want to swap, it's very easy. It's just saying, God, I want to swap. I want to to live under freedom and I want to live under grace. I don't want to live under bondage anymore. Pastor Jonathan and Phil will be down the front tonight. So after we've prayed, if you want to come down and talk to to them about about what's happened tonight, feel free, I'll be here as well. I'd love to talk to you further. Let's pray. God, you are an awesome God. And we are so fortunate that that we can come before you and, and live under your grace. There are so many religions out there. There are so many people, God, who are striving with all that they are to be the best that they are, but still fall short. But by your grace, God. But by your grace. Father, I pray tonight that, um, that you would continue to... Help us understand what it means to live under your grace and under freedom. That we would never take it for granted. That like Paul, we would take every opportunity to tell anyone that would listen how blessed and how fortunate we are be saved by the grace of god lord for those out there tonight who are in hagar's camp and feeling under bondage feeling that the world is holding them down that there's all these ropes tied around them and they just can't break free Father, I pray that they would hear your voice calling them tonight and that you would be more than happy to grab a pair of scissors and cut them free forever and that all they need to do is ask. (coughs) Father, we bless you and we praise you tonight for all that you have done for us. And help us to be good servants of yours, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.